around the world by showcasing their professions, passions, and perspectives. I'm your host, Manthir Singh, a.k.a. The Net Nehung. Vaiguruji ka khalsa, Vaiguruji ki fateh. Welcome Vishavjit Singh to the Net Nehung's arena. Thank you, thank you for having me. You are not only known as the sick Captain America, which is awesome. I can't wait to talk to you more about that, but you are also the creator of Sick Tunes, and um, which is like a comic strip, usually dealing with socio-political, economic type topics. Um, and uh, it's very interesting uh, that you were able to kind of get into that. And I can't wait to hear your story about like, how you, how that came about so why don't you go ahead and uh tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how all of this came about yeah thank you for having me again uh uh pleasure is mine uh so basically what's my story and we all have interesting stories that's what i really believe uh i was born in washington dc nation's capital uh my parents were living there in, in uh, the suburbs uh, Dad was working at the Indian Embassy. Uh, I spent the first few years of my life there. Parents moved to India. I moved to India with parents. Spent most of my childhood in the capital of India, Delhi. Spent most of my summers and childhood in Punjab because that's where all the family was, both Nanke and Dadke. And so, what age was that that you went back to India? So I was four when I went. Okay, back. so very young, yeah, very young, and finished basically did all my primary schooling in India. Okay. Yeah. And so I, so it's interesting, you know, I got to sort of have a pretty sort of good grasp of sort of the sort of thick uh, roots uh, in India or in Punjab and many other places. And I, so I, I'd spend my school uh, nine months, eight months in Delhi, and then I would spend the summer in Punjab. Oh. And it's it's pivotal because I got to uh, sort of connect to my Punjabi roots uh, a lot more than some other folks would have if they were living uh, mostly in Delhi. And so, you know, grew up sort of speaking three languages. I went to a private school. My dad wanted to send us to me and my brother into we. It's kind of, I, it took me a long time to realize this. I was born into a sick family, but I was not born into a sick family. My parents looked sick. They had sick names, but they didn't really follow Sikhi as in, you know, we didn't, we rarely went to Gurdwara. We didn't do part of it. So I didn't have that connection to Sikhi growing up, but I did go to a private Sikh school because my dad had this sort of vision that I want my kids to go to a school where they can learn about Sikhi and Gurmukhi. So I learned Gurmukhi at school. I had to um, um, take a mandatory Punjabi class for 10 years, which I don't know how I felt. I mean, I, it was something I had to do, I guess, more than other kids were doing. Uh, but I yeah. in retrospect, I'm, you know, so thankful and grateful that I did. And I, I, so, so what's interesting is we, I learned about Sikhi more in school than I learned at home. And I learned about Sikhi in school through stories. So we, we had we had to learn about Sikh history, so all the Guru stories and other Singh Singhania stories. That was my connection to Sikhi, uh, where at least you know I knew the stories of Gurus, Paikaneya, 
Babadeep Singh, uh, a few of the main characters from the sort of the Sikh past. I got to learn all of their stories through illustrated books, I see. which was very critical. Uh, I, I didn't realize at the time, but it would become very critical because eventually what would happen is sort of moving forward a little bit quickly. I, I knew always that I was going to come back to the land of my birth, to the U.S., to you know, go to college and you know, be settled here. Um, so I did do that. And when I came back to the U.S., I first came to the city of Los Angeles, or actually L.A. County. So did you, did a, you come here yourself to go to school, or did your whole family come back? I did. I came by myself. So parents okay. are you know, in India, dad's still working. My brother was going to, he's four years my senior, so he was in college. Oh, I, I came see. by myself, and I kind of had plans, okay, I'll quickly come here, work for a few months before I start college. And I come here and man, it was hard. I mean, it was hard in the sense that we didn't have much family here. Yeah. And what year are we I talking got, about? I what got, year was this? Mid nineties? This was late eighties. So eighty nine. Okay. Okay. And I was I was I mean, I got sort of introduced to American ignorance about six very, yeah. very like literally within days. I mean, people were <laughs> wow. this is this is Orange County in LA, right? You would think it's a very diverse place, but even there, I mean, people in, in public, out on the streets, on buses, in malls, just poked fun at me, laughed at me, uh, called me names. Yeah. And then I, you know, I eventually I went to undergrad at the University of California system. Uh, I went to undergrad at Santa Barbara and grad school at Berkeley. And by the time I went to, I was in sophomore year. I decided I, I don't, I've had enough. I don't know why I wear my case. I couldn't answer that question. Why am I wearing my case? Besides the fact that my parents had told me, you know, you have to, and I've right. always done that, but nobody ever, I never questioned and nobody ever gave me a good answer of why do we wear, yeah. why do we wear a case and why do we wear the scars? And having gone through, so, you know, I, I've skipped a few things here. I, I lived through Chirassi, and we can maybe talk about it later on, but I lived mm-hmm. through Chirassi both in June in Punjab uh, when the curfew happened, yeah. when the Operation Blue Star happened, and I also lived through the Kalukara in Delhi in November. In November, uh, right. Wow. Okay. Had a very close sort of shame with death in Delhi more so than in Punjab. And, and so, so I've lived through that. and. In sophomore year, I'm like, okay. But that's I, interesting. I, Wait one second. Sorry to interrupt sure. you, but it's interesting because you lived through that where your life was in danger and you still didn't falter from your identity, from your keeping your case. But coming to the States and the ridicule and, 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 and the uh, making fun and stuff, that had a very deep impact on you to the point where you were questioning your case. Yeah, it is. And I think a couple of things I would say to that, I, you know, I was staying with my parents. I was living with my parents. I was going to school. So I was surrounded by... Support system. Support system, sick family, sick school. And so I, I had that more than other people. And I think that kept me... Uh, in this cocoon where I felt like, okay, hey, you know, this is my identity. It's under attack. Right. Uh, but this is, you know, this is part of my, my, my sort of community story. 
The other thing that also happened in childhood, which I sometimes I get to talk about it, but I got bullied a lot. I was I'm a skinny guy. I was always skinny. Um, and like in was, India, I, you're talking about in India, there was bullying. in India, and I'm also shy. You know, I might not seem anymore, but I, it's something. <laughs> it's something I've learned not to be. But I I'm born as an introvert, so I'm right. an introvert. I'm a very shy guy and a shy kid, so I never. I didn't. I didn't learn how to articulate. Hey, I'm I'm being bullied. Some people are calling me names, right? Uh, kids are calling. Kids are calling me names. Oh, I don't like this. Don't say I'm ugly, right? Don't tell me I'm, I'm an ugly kid. And I got this not only from kids. I got it from adults, like uncles and aunties and others. And right. I just didn't know how to respond to them. And I I was one of those kids who didn't get the memo. Hey, you should tell your parents. You should tell somebody you trust that. Hey, I'm getting bullied. And I right. I didn't tell it. So I well, you know that, that might have also just been a generational thing too because I feel like we also you know because we experienced we were me and my brother my friends we got into Sikhi after 84 we were in the United States and kind of similar to you Sikh family but weren't practicing Sikh really and um we also faced a lot of bullying and things like that in school name calling things like, but I would never have even thought to tell my parents you know, like, yeah. was, I think that was just part of our generation that there was no awareness that this is having a negative impact on your development or your psyche. I even had a teacher one time in class in eighth grade. I wasn't paying attention. He said, hey, towelhead, I'm talking to you. And I was like, wow. oh, sorry, Mr. Clay. You know, and I just answered the question. I didn't even think, wow, what a crazy thing that a teacher just called me a towelhead. It was yeah. so, you know, normalized. So I can understand why you, maybe you weren't telling your parents because the, cult, the culture, the awareness wasn't there for it. Yeah, and I, I, you're right. And maybe, you know, that's partly that. And then add that to being a, being a shy, introverted kid right, who's, not, right. who's not standing up for himself and saying, you know, telling people off. And I think these are subtle things, right? Uh, of mm. course, I had a very good support network, but I think by the time I am in LA and I'm in Santa Barbara, I am now totally out of that comfort zone. I don't know anybody who is from my community, loved ones or even friends. And now these questions are coming up and I don't have the answers. Nobody else is around me who has yeah. answers. And so um, I, in sophomore year, took up my star, cut off my hair. And I kind of started this sort of self-exploratory journey, right? I started reading a lot of books, which I never did when I was in, when I was a kid. I didn't grow up in a house where we had books in the house. My dad incidentally did talk about how well-read he was. I mean, he, he has an English degree from Punjab University. He got a law degree and he always talked oh, about wow. how he loved to read, uh, but he didn't pass that on to us, me and my brother. I see. And so I started reading a lot of books and through books, I, you know, I read all kinds of books, fiction, nonfiction. Um, and the book, and I and I bring that up because I would not be the person that I'm today if I did not start reading books for pleasure. Yeah, so you didn't even have like the comic books and stuff. You weren't even reading those when you were in India, or you was know, that part I of it? I read some comic books. I did read the the Archie comics. The I see. Okay. The Tintins. I did read comic books, but it just. You know, yeah, so I read those, but I didn't really read books per se for fun, right? Okay. And so it, 
I mean, and this is, you know, we'll talk about this probably, but to me, you know, today I call myself a storyteller, that I tell stories, my right. story and other people's story. I, I feel like we, we, our community as a whole really lacks uh, uh, the ability. The stories exist in our community, actually, from the past and present and certainly the future as well. But we don't tell stories very well. We, we tell a few guru stories, but then what happens after the mid-1700s to now, there's a ton of stories. And so... That's a really interesting point because I think there's also, it might be cultural because telling your story um, is self-focused somehow and maybe frowned upon. Like, who are you? What's so special about you? Why are you got to go tell everybody your story? You know, like there's a little bit of that in the culture too, that if you put yourself out there, um, maybe it's some kind of showing off or something. But where reality is when we tell our stories, there's other people going through the similar things that we went through that are looking for someone to relate to, to know that they're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. And so not only telling our stories, but telling the stories of superheroes in our yes. community. And there's so many. I mean, hmm. there is. there are so many that it sometimes feels like, I mean, why are we not telling these stories to people around the globe, right? Because you can... Um, they are the big ones that we all know, the big names. But then there's so many others. You, once you start reading thick history, you just start realizing, oh, my gosh. I mean, our, our community is just full of stories. Uh, and it's interesting. Uh, most of these stories are of – most of the names we know are of men. But there's a lot of women's stories in our community that we get to find out once we sort of start dipping in that we would not be, uh, you know, we, the stories of Banda Singh Bahadurs and Guru Gobind Singh and Bhai Kanayas, and then you come to the, you know, the, the modern times with Jarnal Singh or Jaswant Singh yeah. and others, all of them have complicated, fascinating stories with singhanis who have made their amazing stories possible, right? Right, right, and interesting, yeah. I, I, I get into that because, so I... As I'm reading these books, fiction, nonfiction, history, philosophy, religion, I am like certainly realizing, wow, there's a lot of amazing people and worlds out there, fictional and non-fictional worlds. And I, as I go through that journey, grad school, post-grad school, and I eventually I moved to the East Coast. I you were studying what, computer science or computer programming or something? I was pre-engineering, pre-med decided to because that's what i was told by culture you got right right you covered all the bases engineer yes. and doctor <laughs> yes so i moved past that and was, i had this benefit i was far away from my parents and i got to make my own sort of decisions and mistakes right and i eventually uh did public health i went to grad school for public health okay. to study epidemiology and biostatistics oh, and interesting. i did that at berkeley and then kind of left that field to become a software engineer when the bubble, when the, when the Tech boom bubble was going up, yeah. the, the internet boom happened yeah. like early 2000s. Yeah. And I, to me, one of the most sort of life altering experiences happened when I discovered Buddhism through books. I see. And okay. Buddhism is very accessible through books because <clears> there's a lot of Buddhist teachers who, especially Tibetan origin Buddhist teachers who left Tibet. Uh, because of a uh, geopolitical situation in Tibet and China, and they went to Europe and in the U.S. So if you go to a bookstore, 
if you search for books on religion, there's a ton of books on Buddhism, right? Right. Okay. But there are almost no books you'll find on Sikhism. Right. So that's sort of, to me, you know, I discovered Buddhism. I read a lot of different books and there's a couple of books that had a profound impact on me. And I, for the first time in my life, I went into a journey of spirituality or at least thinking, you know, there's a lot more out there to life right. than just the, the, the planet Earth. And that kind of opened me to think spiritual. In grad school, I was staying with my brother, who was by that time had moved from India to the U.S. on his own as an engineer. And he was re- he discovered Sikhi in college in India. He discovered Sikhi in Karnataka. He went to a college, oh. a Sikh college in Karnataka. And oh, wow. he discovered Sikhi. So in our family, you know, we all kind of have discovered Sikhi on our own separate journeys. Yeah, wow. So he, he's really into Sikhi. So I, when I was in grad school, he's living in the Bay Area and I needed a place to stay for a few months. So I go to his place. I, when I, you know, our paths cross. Uh, and we had seen each other, but, you know, we had spent time far away for quite a, quite a bit, quite a long time. You know, he's really into Sikhi and I'm moving to the Bay Area, shaved head, uh, doing Buddhist meditations yeah. and uh, Taoist meditations. And then I'm staying with him for a few months. And, you know, our, I'm like, I'm kind of like an atheist, but kind of getting into spirituality through Buddhism. He is totally into Sikhi, listening to Kirtan all the time at home. Yeah. And so while I was staying with him for a few months, I he always had Barney on, on his boombox. For yeah. those of us who know what boomboxes are. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know. I used to break dance. <laughs> yes. So there you go. We come from the same generation. So he yeah. always had Kirtan on, on the boombox. Yeah. And you know, initially I used to think it's weird because I, I wasn't used to listening with Kirtan anymore. I spent a long time and what happened, you know, he, a few times he would invite me to go listen to, go to the Gurdwara and listen to Kirtan. I always said no. But what, I, what would happen is, you know, I would, from his place to Berkeley, I would drive. I had a car and I, you know, eventually I kind of started, I'm like, oh, I like this Kirtan, you know, it's kind of cool. Hmm. So I started taking his cassettes, put it into my car, go to college and come back. And I slowly, I fell kind of in love with this music, this Gurbani music, right? And who were you? Who were you listening to? What? Who? Which Kirtan were you listening to? You know, I, I, I cannot tell you the names because it was all kinds of. My brother had made cassettes of like all different kind of Kirtanis, Kirtanis for India, Kirtanis based in the U.S. at the time. Yeah. And you just knew you uh, liked it, and so you just kept listening. Then, yeah, it was. I mean, certainly, I had the cultural connection. I could understand a little bit because I knew Punjabi and Gurmukhi, but right. I did get into it, and I started listening to it. Besides the other musics that I was listening to, and then my brother kept asking me, and you know, I kept saying no. But eventually, you know, he. I said one. I remember. I said, "I'm sure, fine." I so I said yes, and we went to listen to Asadivar live. At a gurdwara in, in Varia, it's called uh, this. The town is called El Sagranti. So the gurdwara yeah. is a, it's a beautiful gurdwara. It's on yeah, yeah. It overlooks the San Francisco Bay, and so we go. We listen to, and I have memories of this still because it's you go up the hill, there's a fog, you know, marine layer, hmm. and we started. You know, this is like five thirty, in the morning, hmm. and very few people massive divan hall and you're sitting in there for 10, 15 people. And this is the Jatha, the Akhandi Kirtani Jatha who was doing the Seva, the Asadivar Seva. 
Right. And, you know, I, I started doing that a few times. I loved it the first time. And I remember, you know, having a shawl around me. It was kind of coldish. And I just, I fell in love with Asadivar. And so yeah. I, that's how I came into Sikhi. My connection to Sikhi is through Asadivar. So for me... You know, me, it's interesting too, because Asadivar, it's Avar, like a, a, um, a ballad. And Asa is hope. Yeah. It's the superhero story. It is. It is. And I tell, I, you know, when I talk to uh, Guru Camps and retreats even now, I tell people, if you have not listened to Asadivar live, especially, please, mm. if you get the opportunity, just, just get up early that day. Go listen yeah. to it. There's something beautiful about, it's Pelle Pachad Barney. Mm. And you're right, it's a ballad. It's a conversation that Guru Sahib's having. And, and I, you know, one thing I say about Guru Nanak Dev Ji is Guru Nanak Dev Ji was a pretty strict he was tough. I mean, he was not like a tender. His his ballads are not tender. Uh, there's True, variation right. in different. His, his if you listen to different Guru Sabs and and Guru uh, Pattadi and you know different uh, Santandi uh, Barnis, Kabirjis or yeah. Faridjis, they have you know they all bring their own emotional uh, uh, sort of tones. Yeah, there's a tone to it. Yeah. Yeah, and Pel, I feel Pele Pacha is like, he was strict. I mean, he was, you know, he <laughs> called it out, which is yeah. good. Um, and to me, you know, I have this special connection to Asa Divar, so I always tell people, you know, listen you know, listen to it live. And, and so, you know, I got into it. So early 30s, I falling in. So it took me from that point, it took me, another two, two and a half years to really get into. So I'm doing my Buddhist meditation that I'm listening to Kirtan at the same time. Yeah. But let me ask you though, your brother though, um, he didn't argue with you. He didn't push you. He didn't, he was, he had, a, he was patient or is that accurate to say he was patient and he just, you know, so he had made his peace. You know, when I first cut my hair and I visited India from college. Yeah. I don't remember my brother ever hustling me. You know, he, he was, I know he was not happy, but he never hustled me. They yeah. were, so th that's interesting, you know, to ask that question. My dad did. Hmm. was very unhappy. Um, and he wanted me to grow my hair back. But my hmm. brother, you know, he, well, it's interesting. You know, when I talk to my brother now, you know, when adults would talk about it, he's like, you know what? I saw you as, you were still my brother, but I saw you not as my sick brother. You didn't, mm, you were not my fucking brother, but, but the interesting thing, he never made it be known or he never made me feel like that. So I, I felt my parents loved me. I felt my brother loved me still. Um, so I felt their love. And I think if they had responded, maybe the other way, I might have not come back. Yeah. Uh, wow. It's hard That's to say. That's interesting. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. But I think I, I look back, at least my memory tells me that they loved me no matter what I went through. They were not happy about it, but right. they loved me. Right. And I think that's critical. That judgment that you might have in your mind, don't, don't vocalize it too much. And I don't remember my parents judging me. Well, my dad did a little bit, but my brother yeah. did not. And my, I only have one brother. And my brother, you know, he's, I call him my guardian angel because we, he was four years my senior. He, mm -hmm. we went through Chirasi together. 
And my brother went through another incident in college later on in Karnataka where um, they were anti-Sikh um, violence, where some of his fellow college students were killed. He, oh he escaped. He escaped death one more time uh, relating to anti-Sikh violence in college in Karnataka. And so, you know, we, we have a, you know, he's somebody who's gone through even more than I have. And he's always had my back. He always wrote letters to me more than I did. You know, so I, I'll confess mm. that my brother stayed connected. He would send letters and cards. I didn't reciprocate as much. You know, again, that sort of uh, maybe selfishness in China sort of combined. But he, you know, I he kept me, you know, he, he had my back. Yeah, it's me. interesting because he, it sounds like he showed compassion and kindness. And it's very tempting, especially we see this with... Uh, some six that when they don't like something, they, they take a very hard stance and, you know, they cut people out. Um, and to show that kind of compassion and kindness and stay connected, um, it shows what the power of that actually is, that that's the real Gursic nature. It is, it is. And I, you know, I look back and I was, you know, I'm grateful that I have that. I'm so grateful that they were, they did that. I hope I would do the same. Right. Right. Um, okay. But I yeah. look back and I say, yes, you know, I, I have my shukrana and my gratitude to, to, to the world, to life and to my parents and my brother for being there for me. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I come back to Sikhi. I start growing my hair back. I have moved to the East coast and my, actually my interesting, my brother has also moved to the East coast. He's married. He's staying with his, his wife. And, yeah. uh, in Connecticut at the time. And I, I moved to the East coast. I'm working for a tech company now. Uh, the year is 2000. And so I put my, the star on for the first time in August, 2001. And I'm working just in August of 2001. Now. Yeah. Right before the attacks. Yeah. So I'm working in white Plains, <clears throat> New York, which is just 15 miles North of New York city. And mm. so I, and then you know, the attacks happen of the 9-11 attacks happen. And that's sort of another, that's another sort of this incident that profoundly changes my life. Right. Um, I would say there's two or three, three, maybe in three events are totally out of my control that profoundly changed me. 1984 being one. Right. Um, coming back to the land of my birth being second. And then 9-11 being uh, the third one. And so I, you know, you know the story, but I felt I, I work in a very diverse company at the time. I was working at a very diverse company, but I felt fellow co-workers who didn't know me giving me looks like right. you were the bad guy. Yeah. And that was what are you, really what are you doing here? You guys just attacked yeah. us. Yeah. And so I, I didn't, I worked from home for two weeks. We didn't leave our home for two weeks. Only the women of the house left and we didn't leave for two weeks. And when we left, I mean, it was, it was rough. I mean, I got, it was called to Sam Bin Laden by, you know, just about everyone out there, yeah. uh, all races and genders. And it just didn't really matter. So it was a very strange time to be living. I, to me, I can compare it to 1984 in some ways, but it was even, in some ways, even, more profound because you had 
this is the U.S., a very diverse place. You think of, you know, the democracy being more sophisticated right. and advanced and more open. Right. But, uh, man, after 9-11, especially for those days and weeks and months, it was uh, it was intense for anybody who looked like that new other, right? Uh, right. The Muslim, the Arab looking or and, – and many people were you – know, and, and, and it's not even that, like, misidentifying the target is it's not okay either. Like, we're, we're not saying that. But it must add a little bit level of frustration of, like, oh, my God, you guys, you got – you got this totally off base anyway. At least yeah. in 84, you were targeted because you were a sick. Yeah. But now you were being targeted because you looked like something else. Yeah. And, and there was ignorance. I mean, I, People are just ignorant. They just didn't know the difference. Yeah. And I, I, I you know, that's what I, how I registered it. Okay. People are ignorant. They're not bad people for most part. Most of these people are not racist, but they're ignorant. But that ignorance has a huge impact on, you know, people. And ignorance combined with your implicit biases and prejudices and, of course, what's happening around you leads to violence, leads to, you know, people feeling other, leads to generations and generation after generation telling people, go back home or you don't belong here. Right. right? And and even acting out that way towards... Muslims is also ignorant and racist. Of course. Because you have to identify that terrorists were the terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it and then you have to leave yeah. it there. And so, yeah. you know, again, it's so this is the beginning of me. Uh, so my storytelling journey starts after 9 11. Okay. I yeah. saw a cartoon. So weeks after, so while all these attacks are happening, I somehow, like many people, I was looking at, I was watching news, I was reading news. And I started, I saw this cartoon a few weeks after 9-11. So the, the hate and bias attacks have started happening, but we sort of got right. shot and killed and many others are getting attacked and killed. And I remember seeing this cartoon, uh, animated cartoon, uh, online animated cartoon in a, in a news uh, uh, site. And it was titled Find the Terrorist. And it was a fast rotating image and you had to click on a mouse to, to find out who the terrorist is. Okay. And you could tell there's a there's a brown man, there's you know a white man, and other. So as you clicked on it, you got introduced to these people. There was a sick character in there, really beautifully drawn. You know, a name, what he does. There was a Hispanic character. There was a uh, a white character. There was an Indian character, and the terrorist in this case happened to be Joey, the white guy, because he had committed a hate crime against Ahmed, a Muslim guy in america and this cartoonist who turned out to be a white man he's a he's a he's a cartoonist based out of the bay area he's a white american he's caucasian but he yeah. was making this profound point a few weeks after 9-11 that wow. people who are committing hidden bias crimes are also committing acts of terror and to me seeing first of all is sick care a sick character in an american cartoon was profound a character who was not being lampooned, who right. was actually genuinely being portrayed, which is rare. And so I, in my mind, I'm like, wow, I really connected to that cartoon. And at the time, I didn't think much about it. But in a few weeks' time, as I'm looking at, you know, sort of processing all the things that are happening, maybe a few months down the line, I'm like, you know what? I should, Mark Fiore, who created that cartoon, he's probably not going to create any other cartoon with the characters. Maybe I should 
start creating cartoons. Interesting. And that's where the seeds of stick tunes came up. And I, uh, 2002, I started uh, sketching on my computer to teach myself how to do cartoons. And then November 2002, sicktoons.com was born as a home for these cartoons because I didn't know what do I do with my cartoons? How do I, where do I mean, magazine that I'm going to publish them? Yeah, so how, I, are gonna, how are you going to publish? So you had to self publish online. Yeah, so which yeah. is great because the internet gives us this ability to to a nobody like myself to just create a website and put your cartoons up there. And that's I actually the- remember when um, I saw your cartoons. I remember thinking I didn't even know he could draw. But you're yeah. what you're saying is you, maybe you, you maybe you had that talent or whatever, but you hadn't really even discovered it until you saw this other cartoon that somebody yes. else did. And you're talking about while you're working professionally, this isn't some passion you've had all your life or something that you've been working on. It literally just struck you that, wow, I like seeing this sick character portrayed in a positive light. I better do it because nobody else is going to do it. Yes. And that's the, yeah, it's the power of cartoons, line drawings. Yeah. But the, but the right connection, the story, this, this, this cartoonist is trying to capture my and your and many other people's predicaments who are being targeted in post 9-11 America. And I think that telling, that storytelling in, in, a, in, a, in a 60 second cartoon was so profound that it sort of changed my life journey. I started cartooning by evenings and by weekends and I still have my job and I worked for 15 years as, a, as an engineer. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of creating cartoons, you know, creating sick tunes. And I did this and I, you know, I, I would get emails from the community or messages. Hey, this is really cool. And, you know, keep doing this. And well, you were also, happened, you were also making cartoons for very current, for current events, like uh, real life scenarios, whether it was American politics or Indian politics or, or, or whatever it was, or even social things, you were making them based on what was happening in the news cycle. So Absolutely, yeah. Most of them were based on news cycles. You're right. And they were based, the, the one sort of focus was they were six stories. So there were six stories mm-hmm. in America, Europe, Canada, India, but they were all six stories, mostly inspired by news events. Some were inspired by my own life story, uh, my own sort of my experiences living in post 9-11 America. But yes, they were inspired by news because I was learning from these other cartoonists. How do you think and draw like a cartoonist? Hmm. And so it took me years and I'm actually behind me is my collection of sort of all the cartoon books that I, that I, that are my teachers that I have learned from cartoonists who do not, you know, who who are passed away, but cartoonists, contemporary cartoonists. And so they are my teachers, American. Who is your favorite? Who, who is your favorite cartoonist? You know, there's, there's a few. So Mark Fury, certainly, you know, he's still, he's still illustrating and he's still a cartoonist. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning cartoonist, Mark Fury. And Telnez is somebody who came from the Disney world and now became an editorial cartoonist where it draws for the Washington Post. Okay. And then there are big names in American editorial cartooning. You know, they're, they're the sort of the 20th century big names, Jules Pfeiffer, Ed Sorrell. And they, if you are a cartoonist or if you're into cartooning, you know their names. Yeah. And what is interesting is a lot of... Uh, 20th century, early American editorial cartoonists, they come from immigrant backgrounds. They come, oh, from, okay. they come from Jewish uh, uh, backgrounds. 
whose families, some of their families have come from Europe, they've survived the Holocaust. And so the story of editorial cartooning and cartooning at large in America is fascinating. Most American cartoonists that we think of American cartoonists are, yes, they're American cartoonists, but they have Jewish connections. They have Holocaust connections. And I learned that over the course of the years, and it's a fascinating, another back sort of side story of cartoonists. So most of superheroes that we know of, Superman, Batman, yep, yep. Captain America, <clears throat> yeah. they are mostly created by Jewish Americans. Yeah. And so there is a, there is a Jewish Holocaust connection there, which is a right. whole story we can talk about. But for me, you know, as I go back to my journey, you know, I, I'm creating these cartoons and people are responding in our community to it. But eventually I had schools in America who teachers who started reaching out to me saying, hey, you know, like your cartoon, that's interesting. You know, would you be would you be willing to come to our school and talk about why do you why are you what are you doing? Why are you creating these cartoons with turban and bearded characters? And these yeah. are, of course, teachers, you know, who are open to uh, diverse inclusion kind of stories and topics. So they're kind of progressive in that element and they are reaching out to me saying, hey, we love your work. Would you, you know, would you talk to our student? Would you come? And so that started happening a little bit. And then eventually what happened is another, maybe the fourth profound thing that happened in my life is um, the Milwaukee attack at Gurdwara Saab in 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I remember when that happened on the Sunday it happens. um, I really felt it like many Sikhs did that, you know, this could happen any Gurdwara. It could happen me going to Gurdwara Saab that Sunday. And I actually responded to that uh, piece by writing an op-ed that got published by Seattle Times. I and I was making the case we need a new American superhero, but that superhero needs to be represented by either Jewish Americans or Hispanic Americans or Sikh Americans or Asian Americans. And I just was made that argument. We need a new comic superhero. Yeah. And it took a life of its own because what happened is a few months prior, I had gone to my first New York City comic festival as an artist to showcase yeah. my work. Okay. And I was thinking, how do I stand out? I mean, the New York City uh, Comic Festival was one of the biggest <laughs> festivals on the planet. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of cosplay. Of yeah. And there are hundreds and thousands of artists. And you have Pixar and Sony. The big dogs are there, too. <clears throat> oh, wow. So I had this. This is in October 2011. And in the summer, the first Captain America movie came out. Yeah. And I had this vision in my head one day, you know what? I should draw Captain America with a Dastar and a Dari. There should be a Captain America who is <laughs> sick. And yeah. so I sketched it and I said, okay, that's it's cool. But then what do I do with it? And so I created posters to market myself in that comic festival to just behind my booth. Yeah. To see if I can attract people to my booth. Right, I was right. thinking nobody's going to buy my art. And I had it printed in rates, but I'm like, yeah. well, maybe that art will you know, sort of somehow make a connection. And it did. I mean, people got confused. They're like, that's interesting. Thumbs up. Some people are like, why, do you, why is Captain America Muslim? Yeah. yeah. Said, 
Yeah, I'm like, well, this Captain America is sick, you know, but it started. Some right. Because for a lot of people, the imagery is uh, contrarian. They're thinking Very. the uh, I mean, superhero part is American, that the star and beard is anti-American. Yeah. <laughs> and I think for some, maybe not even anti-American, but they're just kind of like, whoa, this is just like, this is not superhero. It's like superheroes don't have this. Mm. And I think I didn't realize to what extent this would have an impact on them and sort of my life because there was a photographer in passing who, uh, Fiona Abu, uh, she's a Jewish Brazilian American uh, who was doing a photo essay on six for many years. And I was oh, one of, okay. I was actually turned out to be her last subject. So she spent six, seven years of her life capturing six and photographs. And she was, trying to capture me in photographs. So she came by and she said, oh, Vishwati, this is cool. Why don't you come back next year? And just she just made a comment. Why don't you come back next year dressed as Captain America? And I <laughs> said, no. <laughs> I gave her, I said a very emphatic no to her. She didn't ask me why, but I knew my reasons. Few reasons I said no. One, I have body image issues. I've always been skinny, been teased for it. I'm like, dude, no way. I'm not wearing a superhero's leotard uniform and going out there. No way. So it's first body image issues. Second, I'm like, look, this is post 9-11, man. People already hustle me. They already tell me to go back home. They call me names. Why would I want to bring more attention to myself? Right. So I forgot about it. She forgot about it. But when I'm going forward now, August 2012, when I wrote this op-ed, Fiona read that article and she emailed me after months. She goes, Hey, Vishwati, I love this piece. I think you should don that uniform. Let's go out and let's shoot you as Captain America on the streets of New York City. I think we can push people's perception about what it means to be American. Let's do it. And I was like, you know, I still remember that email. I'm like, man, my, my, my brain saying no, but because Milwaukee had happened, I said, you know what? I need to get out of, get out of my own way and let's do it. So I said, yes. She bought a uniform uh, from Hong Kong, a teenager size for, for me, skinny me. <laughs> and um, it took us a few months because we wanted to do it. And she wanted a sunny day, a warm day. So it turns out June 2013, we stepped out, me stepping out. She was, she had a camera, she had a helper. And that was one of the most amazing days of my life. So I can tell you, um, October 31st, 1984. Yeah. 9-11. And that day in June, 2013, three days. I'll probably remember the moment I'm about to die as one of the most amazing, most profound, tragic non-tragic days of my life. I mean, that day I was out for eight, nine hours, my dude. And um, it was like I was in Twilight Zone. I was in a parallel universe because people treated, I didn't know this because I, I was really nervous. I was really anxious. I thought people were going to hustle me. They're not going to like what they yeah, It's interesting you're saying that because I watched the video. I've seen it several times over the years, but I think you did made it a few years ago, maybe five or six years ago. But Oh, 2013. So seven years ago is when you filmed this, but I I remember seeing it many years ago and I watched it again recently before you came on. So I wanted to kind of refresh myself. I don't get an indication of that at all. 
no, I don't feel like you're nervous. As a matter of fact, I'm watching, I'm going, how did he do this? How is he so calm? How did you, how did you confront people so calmly? And then even some of your responses to when people were reacting, they were very like natural. So there was no feeling at all like you had any kind of nervousness or anything. Yeah, so you know, that video it happened subsequently because first with a photo shoot, and I what I realized is people got confused, and that confusion led people to treat me totally differently. I mean, people mm. when I'm in that uniform, people for the most part treat me like, whoa this is cool or this is interesting or, hey, this guy may be very patriotic. I mean, I am treated like a celebrity when I'm in that <laughs> uniform for most wow. part. And I was, look, I, I'll tell you, I mean, so after that photo shoot, you know, once we published these, some of these photos, I got invitations from all over the place, late night comedy shows and um, companies and uh, comic festivals and stuff. And one of the places that I went to uninvited was a Republican convention in 2016 in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm, I was wow, there okay. with a group of cartoonists. We were trying to capture some stories. And I just decided, you know what? I won't capture stories. I'll just dress up as Captain America. And I'll stand in front of the convention. I'm not going to go in because I don't have the pass. But I'll stand in front with a banner saying, uh, let's kick some compassionate. Let's kick some ass with compassion. And I had a couple of other banners. And yeah. I stood in front of the convention. And what's fascinating is no, almost nobody, almost nobody, a few people, almost nobody hustled me. People did get confused. They took photos of me with me. And a lot of police officers, over the years, I found police officers, you know, they love it. So they took photos with me or off me for their kiddos. Yeah. And so I realized there is something happening when it comes to story of Captain America. Captain America is not real. Kids know this. When I go to schools, yeah. I go to schools a lot. Kids know Captain America is not real. But the story of Captain America is real and it's powerful. We Americans take Captain America quite seriously. And mm. I get to live that power because when I'm in that uniform, it's like a totally different. Yeah. I mean, just to kind of reiterate for people maybe who don't aren't that familiar, most people are. But the story of Captain America is that there is a small skinny guy who wants to defend his country go to go to it was a world war ii he wanted to go fight for for the americans against the nazis against hate and against this intolerance but they, they keep rejecting him because he's too small he's too skinny yeah. and he ends up getting on some kind of uh, super serum there's some kind of experiment that they're doing he gets the super serum and becomes very strong and very powerful and then he dons this a patriotic uniform so he can lead the troops with this American ideology against the Nazis, against that hate. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's a very critical background. So 1941 is when Captain America gets created by Jack Kirby illustrated mm -hmm. and the comics come out and those comics, there's been many series of the comics. Eventually they get turned into this whole movie series since 2011 that we've been yeah. watching. And yeah, so the, that story is pretty big in the American imagination. Non-Americans respond to it very differently, but Americans respond to it very differently. And I got to sort of lift that fictional story. And I, to me, I just realized, wow, stories are powerful. 
And they can have a very good, a positive impact, but also a negative impact. Okay. Uh, so explain, you know, like, others, like when, you, when you say they could have a negative impact, in what sense? So I'll give you a great example. So I go, uh, you know, uh, so as my, as my life sort of gets changed again with the whole Milwaukee thing and me donning the uniform, I started getting even more invitations from schools. So I started traveling while I had my job. I started traveling across the U.S. going to schools, elementary, middle, high schools, telling people are inviting me, principals and teachers. Hey, tell your story, share your cartoons. So I started doing that. Yeah. And I tell my story. I use my cartoons in schools, predominantly, you know, and most of these kids have no idea who's sick. So I go in as a stranger, tell my story, use cartoons, sick tunes to tell that story. And I tell these kiddos and the teachers one of the most profound story ever told in human history is the story of race, the story of black and white people. It's mm. not a nonfiction. It's, it's not a, a truth. It is a man-made fiction. It's, a, it's a just somebody just made it up and yeah. said, white is good, black is bad. They, made it, they, made, they created a sophisticated story behind it. And America, well, it started in Europe, brought here, and we got to start living that story. And it's one of the greatest stories ever told, but of course, from a negative perspective. I see led what to, you mean. It okay. led to the killing and enslavement of <clears throat> millions of people. But it's a story. And it's yeah. a story today that's still leading to the killing of many Black people on the streets of, uh, on streets of America by cops right. and others. They, you know. The discrimination that black people face in America is it, nobody else faces that kind of discrimination because it's ingrained in our DNA. I have anti-black prejudice that I. Oh grew yeah, up for with. sure. I mean, this is this is the thing that I think a lot of people miss is black people are in America are subjected to racism or biases from every other race. Yes, <laughs> because all the other immigrants that come here. They are um, looking to assimilate into that. It's it's not in a negative way, but that white American culture. Yeah. You know, um, we start to dress that way. We start to talk that way. We start to listen to the music, and um, <clears throat> you know, we're 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 and we align ourselves with that. Like most Indians that come here, don't think of themselves as blacks in America. We think of ourselves more closely with whites in America. But then when we're around black people, we start talking, hey, brother, what's up? Yo, what's going on? Yeah. We start talking a certain way because we have that privilege of being able to kind of move between these spaces. But they yeah. don't. Yes. And, and so I say in my talks, you know, look, I know what discrimination is. I know what bias is because I face it. And also because I have it too. Now, of right, course, right. I'm, a, I'm, I'm hopefully I'm aware of my, my biases. I'm I, the work that I do, the diversity, inclusion, equity work that I do. I'm, I'm, I force myself to become aware of that bias, but you know, from the culture that I have, I, I have American culture and I have Punjabi culture. And unfortunately, both of those cultures tell me that light skin is better than darker skin. Right. Uh, that's the predominant sort of undercurrent in these, in both of these societies, and not only in Punjabi and American society, most societies, including African societies. Yeah. Some yeah. Of African societies. So for me, one of the prejudices that I have grown up with, both American culture, Punjabi culture, and Desi culture at large in South Asia, is that light skin is better. 
And to undo that is so hard. So you have, it's like meditation. You have to remind yourself every day, hey, these are my biases and I got to check them. I don't want to act on those biases. And so going back to that storytelling aspect, you know, I, so I do storytelling now. I travel all over the U.S. monthly and I, I get invited by, from anywhere from Google and Apple's to, to public schools to, right. to nonprofit awesome. organizations. I've gone to the Capitol. You know, that's what I do now. I left my uh, engineering job a few years ago. I'm a full-time storyteller and diversity speaker. And I loved it. This is, you know, to me, the art of storytelling is profound. It has changed my life. Yeah. And one of my main messages to especially the young kids out there is, look, all of you have a story to tell your story. Your parents cannot tell that story the way you can tell that story. Your siblings cannot tell that story the way, even if you have a twin sibling, <laughs> they cannot tell you the story the way you, because you know what's in your head. You know what's in your heart. Only you right. can tell your story. And I want every kid on this planet to know, look, you have a story and only you can tell it. And you need to, no matter what you do, whether you become an astronaut or a chef, a social worker or a farmer, you need to give voice to your story. Don't ever let anybody tell you, you are this, you don't belong here. No, you right. get to tell them, no, no, excuse me. Let me tell you my story. And if you don't want to hear my story, that's fine. Okay, you can go, you know, have a good day, but don't tell me this is not home. I don't belong here. Right. I get to figure that out because, you know, I don't know your story. I'm not going to judge you. Although you're being an ass to me right now. You're, right. Being, you're being uncool to me. I'm not right. going to judge you. I don't know you, but you don't know me either. And I think that, that, that sort of, that profound mess. It took me a lot. Mantir, I had to go through 84 and 9-11 to learn a lot of these things. I, I wasn't born with this. Well, but it's I interesting make- you're saying that because, yeah, because you're saying, hey, I was a shy, introverted person. And now you're saying that you're teaching people, stand your ground and tell people your story and don't judge them, but don't let them judge you. Yes. And, and, so and another, you, another, well, sorry, sorry. Not, I don't, I don't no, want no. to keep cutting you off. But the other interesting thing is you're talking about how like police, you were at the Republican convention, 2016. Um, you know, we associate Trump and Trump supporters with so much hate. Those are also prejudgments that we make. Yes. I'm not saying it doesn't exist there, but then we got to look at each individual separately, right? And they're reacting to you positively also. But there must be some part of you that feels like um, what this patriotism represents to you or to other people may be very different. And there may be some of that uh, difficulty of, am I perpetuating a false patriotism or am I perpetuating the negative things that came with America? Like, you know, we hear about colonialism and imperialism Mm -hmm. and the slavery and the genocide of the natives. And I mean, but you're, you're, it's interesting that you're able to touch these different people for different perspectives, but they're all seeing something positive in that. For most part, yes. For most part, they are because there is a story, Captain America's story, that is in the cultural imagination. Am I wearing it for patriotic reasons? No, but I think people who are seeing me probably are thinking I'm wearing it for patriotic reasons, right? right? So, So 
I am an artist. I'm a performance artist who's doing certain things. I have one vision, but everybody who sees a piece of art sees it from their own lens. Yeah. Right. And yeah. that's the beauty of art. That's the beauty yeah. of storytelling because the readers, the viewers see things from their lens. I am as an artist doing it from a certain lens and I'm, I wasn't weird. I don't don the uniform for patriotic, patriotic reason, but not right. that I'm not, I don't feel like, Hey, I'm an American and I, there's a lot of good aspects to America, but I'm also aware America also has very dark parts of its story. So if you look at the story of America, the, the colonization, the, the killing of natives, the, the enslavement of black people, and even today the treatment of black people and many other communities, it's, it's shameful. It's a dark chapter, but at the same time, you know, stories are complicated. We can be extremely prejudiced towards some people and also do some really great things at the same time. Human beings, even individuals, can do acts of charity at church or a masjid or a gurdwara and then beat up their wives yeah. at homes, right? Yeah. It's It's... So that's another message I have for young people and even others is we are complicated creatures, humans, our societies and cities and cultures. There are good aspects and good and bad can exist. And Guru Sahib tells, you know, you talk about connecting this to, to Guru Granth Sahib and our Guru's message. Uh, we have uh, the vices inside us, the five vices that can drive us towards darkness or towards light. And we got to right. figure out, you know, we got to use the, the poetry that Guru Sahib wrote and Pagdandi uh, Bani to, to let those words somehow uh, connect to our angels. And so we, we, we go towards light. And that's our daily meditation, right? Because we yeah. have Kamkurudla Mankar. I mean, those vices, right? They, they exist within all of us. Right. And how do you guide yourself through those and go towards a car? I, yeah. I think even, even it's not even just how we guide ourselves. It's remembering that the other people suffer from that too. So when we look at people that we say, how could that person have so much hate and kill those people? Or how can that person get on that stage and say those bad things, knowing that people are going to get hurt? Remember that they are also suffering from calm, crowd, low, mohankar. And, yes. and when you recognize that other people are suffering at varying degrees, we're all at different degrees of different things. Um, I think it gives you a different perspective because now you understand that if I am going to talk to this person and convince them, their guard has to come down. And that's what your Captain America suit does. Yes. It brings people's guard down. It does. Absolutely does. I'm able to make connection with people who otherwise would not, not only would they not talk to me, they would probably tell, you know, tell me to go off, you know, go yeah. back home, call me names, but they're able to, they're able to, you know, somehow the guard comes down for a few moments. They're like, whoa, wait a minute. And that connection can happen. And you're right that we have, you know, Sikhi, what is really fascinating my one of my heroes, my lifetime childhood heroes, is Paikaneya, right? Mm. And Paikaneya's story is amazing because Paikaneya's story is about this 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 thing in Dasam Pacha's time, Guru Gobind Singh's time, who is this famous sort of story of him water giving water, uh, healing touch to the enemy at the time who was fighting Guru Sahib's forces, and he. The, the things in Guru Sahib's army complained. Guru Sahib, Paikaniya is giving water and <laughs> right. healing touch to, to, the, to the army, to the right. enemy. 
And so Guru Sahib, he's beckoned by Guru Sahib and Guru Sahib like, are you, you know, hey, Paikaniya, I'm hearing this. And Paikaniya is like, yes, I am. And Guru Sahib, why are you doing this? And he goes, well, I see that light in every single speck of creation in every human being. Yeah. And, you know, then of course, Guru Sahib's point that that jyot is in everybody, right? We, right. So, so going back to the point that you made, that even those who commit acts of prejudices and violence, you know, they have that jyot inside them. And yeah. so what do we do as we're on this path? What do we do? How do we respond to that? You know, certainly you, you sometimes you have to fight battles. But yeah. even when you fight battles, the message that I know from the stories that I know from Sikhi and American you know, stories and many other stories is when you go to battle, don't go with hate in your heart. You got to right. have compassion in your heart. You got to be like, look, I'm not going to hate my enemy. I'll fight you because you're committing acts of injustice and violence against others or me. I'll fight you in the battlefield, but not because I hate you, but because right. you are channeling darkness and I, I, I want to stop you from harming other people. And, you know, it's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing to live. It's a hard thing not to oh, yeah. hate somebody. It's hard not to hate somebody who's hating you. It's, it's not right. an easy thing to do. No, that's, no, that's why a great was, point. That's a it's great a, point. So, so that's why you have to do daily meditation. That's why, you know, mm. look, I, I, I know Guru Sahib talks about Rahat, you know, how it's really, it's, it's, it's a discipline, right? A daily discipline to, yeah. to, to do your meditation and remind yourself, I want to stay on this path, but it's hard. You falter on a daily basis. Right. And so I connect the superheroes from comic world to superheroes in real world is they are fighting injustice, intolerance, hate, human vices yeah. through justice. But compassion is one of the most powerful forces, um, not only in Sikhi, but in every other philosophy that I've read religious philosophy, spiritual philosophy, compassion is one of the most strongest superpowers we human beings have. Yeah. And today in 2020, globally, with everything that's happening, we need to channel compassion before we say, okay, I'm going to go do whatever I need to. You want to be woke? You want to go join a protest? You want to be an activist? Make sure you're, you're taking care of yourself because yeah. you can really kind of get riled up with anger and frustrations and um, hate. Yeah. Uh, if you may, yeah. but you know, so, it's interesting because while you were saying that, I'm, I'm wearing my Superman shirt today in honor of you. Um, but uh, <clears throat> Superman is also stands for truth and justice. But the main thing is, and this is permeated through all the stories of Superman, is that he has extreme com- compassion for humans. He is a far superior alien being that could just crush and destroy the, and rule over this planet, right? If he wanted to. But he actually has compassion for humans because he he sees that there is um, the good side of things. There are the, there is that love. There is that human connection. There is that human spirit, and he admires that and he enjoys that himself. So that's why he has this human alter ego, Clark Kent, who is a very innocent type person. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> so um, it's I I I'm sure. Like we all think about that, these superheroes, they have these qualities and it's about fighting injustices and things. But really, when when you really think about it, how important those stories are, you can easily just dismiss them as, oh, this is silly kids stories. This is that. Yeah. But really, they have important lessons for us. And, and the gurus did the same thing. 
Paikaneya was a superhero, right? Yeah. Guru Saab created that superhero. Yeah. You know, Bhagat Purun Singh was a superhero that Guru yes. Saab created. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they are many in our in our community. I mean, mm-hmm. so, you know, bringing it back to our community today. I mean, they are, you know, there's superheroes who exist all over the place in all communities. Some it's hard to tell because they're they're trying to, you know, they, they don't hoot their horns, they do what they need to do. And I I just my one of my main sort of message sort of to kids all over the globe, but really even sick kids, is we need to, uh, guru subs were, I, I, you know, I see our guru subs, they were artists, they were poets, they mm. were storytellers too. They told the story of the universe and how to connect to Ikokar, to this, to the force from, uh, from the Star Wars yeah. uh, enterprise, if you may. <clears throat> how do you connect to that? And Guru Saab did that through poetry and also through metaphors and stories. Yeah. And we, we now listen to Guru Saab stories and other things in your stories. It's sort of using stories as a tool to connect to our, our sort of better angels. And I think we today as a community don't do a very good job of telling our stories, not yeah. only from the past, but even from the present that we need to become, some of us will become full-time storytellers. Some are going to become fiction writers, nonfiction writers, professors, and we should support that. We, we, you know, we need engineers, we need doctors, we need astronauts, we need economists, political scientists. <clears throat> but I think more than anybody else, and this is maybe my bias, Mantid, but I want to say, yeah. I'm going to say this. We need storytellers more than we need anybody else. because Well, once you're we pioneering story- the way. You're definitely... Uh, blazing a path for other people to follow because I think the jump you made from giving up your job to do this full time is something that most of us would be scared to do. You know? Yeah, and I was too. And I have to say, I have to give shout out to my singly who was my support. Who, uh, and again, you know, I bring it back to we see a lot of male sick stories uh, with the stars and darties, but behind every sick, amazing sick male story is an amazing woman absolutely maybe yeah. maybe multiple women so i i want to give a shout out to uh sick women from the past and present whose stories we as a community have failed to tell and and you know my wife reminds me a, a lot of times vishwadi i love your art but your art is mostly male centric most of your sick cartoons do not have sick women in them and it's true mm-hmm. you know i i don't even think about it but well, now I do. I no, but you know what? Up, the thing is, it's uh, I, I can I, I understand that criticism, and I'm I'm having the same difficulty actually with this podcast. I made a list of like I don't know eighty people that I thought I want to invite on here, and when I was done with my list, sixty were men and twenty were women, and so I sat here trying to go through Facebook profiles. I even talked to my wife. I try to adjust that number a little bit. You know, try to get it to even out a little bit more. But one of the difficulties I'm running into is getting um, sick women to want to step up and do this. Sick men, it's so easy for, because I don't know if you, you could say culturally, it's been, they've been groomed for it, whatever it is. But there's still this barrier that it's not even that, um, I have people on my list that I was like, I would love to invite them, but 
I know they're not going to do it. I know they're not going to say it. So I'll ask anyway, but I know that because their personality is like that. But I'm going to push you with our women. I would push you a little on it. I think, yes, there's an implicit bias in our communities. Yeah. Predominantly all communities, majority communities, an implicit bias against women. And you're right. We boys are groomed to be overconfident compared to our girls because and and research has shown that actually that men in companies rise a little faster, partly because they just they just bullshit their way up because they we are just told, hey, exude confidence, make up things. Yeah, I, if, even if I don't know how to do it, I'll figure it out. Just let me do it. Whereas, yeah, exactly. Whereas but the, the girls may be taught that they groomed. Yeah. No, you got to prove yourself. Yeah. So yeah. I will. I will say when it comes to. You know, your challenge, and I thank you for, first of all, acknowledging that challenge because most, most, a lot of sick men will not even acknowledge it, right? So thank you for vocalizing it. And I will say to you, I think there are a lot of sick women who would be willing to totally take a challenge. I can actually send you a bunch of names. I know a lot of, Absolutely. A lot of amazing do. sick women who actually would be like, absolutely. And, you know, we should get into this topic because I'm mindful Sunday Guru and our gurus actually... It's one of the first faiths, first communities that emancipated women. That's yeah. an amazing story in itself that we don't get to tell very well. But the thing is also we men will sound hypocritical telling that story because today, for most part, the Sikh community is not living up to the principles of what Guru Saab taught us, which is you treat sure. your women equally, right? We don't raise our, our – I know my wife was not raised as son. Right, And so we have to do better. And so the challenge that Mantir, you have is, and you have to say to yourself, if you have that list of 80, there have to be 40 women in there. Yeah. And so yeah. you have to go find them. And it's not only that women will say, I think there are women who will do it. The challenge of sure. all of And my challenge too is in my heart is, and I, and I take it up. And my wife is a reminder to me every day. No, they exist. I have to go out there and I have to find women. And there are a lot of amazing, strong women. So I think that, the, the, you know, maybe that's a, maybe that's one of the final sort of big messages that I feel that we should end on is, you know, you and me without the stars and parties, we're talking about this. I think, I know I can say this for myself. I would not be able to do what I do. One is, you know, I, I have my wife's support. I have my parents' support still, my brother. But there's two women who taught me. So, so I rarely talk about this, Mantir, and so it's coming out right now. It's a very rare thing. Mm. My my dad is a very dominating man. He he is somebody who looms large in my family. He has been amazing. He loves me a lot. He made a lot of powerful decision in my life to where I'm today. Yeah. My mom is my dad has a law degree. My mom did not even graduate from high school. Mm. And she is a very kind of in some ways a very because of my dominating father, she, you know, I, I don't have a friendly kind of relationship with my parents. I didn't really talk much with my mom more than like, you know, mama can't eat food. She took care of us, but I, my mom kind of in, in my dad's shadow is just somebody who never flowered as much. But right. what I learned, my mom used to, I don't remember this. She never told us this, but she would just feed poor people. She would just give money and food and clothes. And I, me and my brother have talked about this in adulthood that we learned from our mother who didn't finish high school, but she taught us compassion towards underprivileged people. Yeah. Without telling us, hey, she never said, oh, Vishwajit go, Jaake Khanade. She just did it herself. And then we kind of picked up that notion that, hey, you know what we learned from our mother 
is compassion for those who have less than you. Yeah. And to me, that profound lesson stays to this day. And That's then my awesome. wife, who happens to be an architect, uh, a, an amazing, strong woman, they, they, they are my bulwarks of yeah. sort of my foundation that, hey, I wouldn't be able to do what I do if it weren't for my mother and my wife. Yeah. And What's your wife's think, name? Sorry? What is your wife's name? My wife's name is Satpal, which, Satpal, which means, we, you know, we joke about it because that means somebody who abides by the truth. And I'm like, you know what? And she is kind of, she, she is her name. Yeah. Um, she is somebody who, she is a harsh critic. When I create art, like she'll be like the first editor and she like, she'll tear apart my heart. Well, I don't like this. I, I think, like I think all of our wives are our harshest critics. <laughs> which is good. Which no, is, they, it, it pushes make, you. Absolutely. They make us better versions of ourselves, and that is good to have that. But I think our challenge now, in turn, is how do we highlight? How do we, how do we get them to the forefront, and how do we sort of move past the implicit bias we have towards gender bias? We no, have it's absolutely say, you know, true. You it's take the yeah. Yeah, I know. I was saying it's absolutely true. Um, my, my wife, she does kirtan, and. Um, she often talks about that, how women aren't getting turns. It's not one. We know Darbar Sahib, they don't allow women unless, yeah. unless they're white American women, then they, yes. then they allow, but in general, they don't allow women. Right. Yeah. But even at um, other programs in the Gurdwaras yeah. around the world, smogums, everything predominantly men yeah. are doing the Kirtan and it. And it's not even just that the men are doing it when the men are doing it, all the other men gather around or they sing very loudly, or they participate more, or there's more, you know, uh, if you're a Raggi Singh, you, you can make a lot more money, you know, talk yeah. about the disparity and, and, and these kinds of things. Um, and so she's always saying, how, you know, how do we get women to do it? Because she does put herself out there. When she does Kirtan, she doesn't try to be like a soft person mm. like how the expectation is of what a woman should doing she puts her heart and soul into it and goes all out and she gets frustrated when she sees that women don't do that or that women won't come forward you know yeah. that they they kind of stay back because she's like no we're just as good as the men if not better yeah. don't stay back but it, it is I think, a challenge in our community. Yeah, I, I absolutely. And I think what we men can do is we need to create that space. So you're right. Like mm -hmm. at Samadhan and Kirtans, you know what happens is even if they have women Kirtanis, they will usually give them early spots. Yeah. And by the time, you know, you have the or prime super time late. spots. Yeah, the prime right. time spots are always for men. And, and, and you know, some of my... Uh, if you were to ask me, Vishwiti, you know, who are your favorite Kirtanis? You know, there, there's a few of them, and they're mostly women. Mm. My favorite Kirtanis, and and I've discovered them, you know, through the internet, and then some of them yeah. I've seen live, and I've you know had the you know grace of sort of you know hearing them doing live Kirtan. Yeah, but I think we men need to create that space and just be like, you know what? No, you know, and some women will take it. Some women will just have to say, you know. Please, you know, look, this is, we have, we have, how do you undo generations and hundreds of years and thousands of years of bias? Yeah, it, yeah. it takes a lot of effort. Uh, and and awareness, think, like you were saying about racism, you have to have yes. the self-awareness too, that what yeah. are my implicit biases? What am I doing? Because yeah. I'm, I know, I'm sure like 
I'm sure my wife sees it when I do something that's kind of, you know, male dominant type behavior or, or chauvinistic in some ways, even some of the jokes that I never really thought much of. Now I have a wife and a daughter and I yeah. see how they might react to hearing something like that. And you think twice about it, you know, like we all have to evolve in that way. And, and, and I'm, and I'm glad you brought it up. I'm glad you brought that up because, um, it, I, it is something that I've been trying to be very conscientious of. How can I get more female representation in the net Nihangs arena? Yeah. And cause I know there are so many like talented, smart, people that are very punthic oriented too and they're doing things out there and i want i want it to be an equal platform i don't want to have this kind of bias in my my podcast no and i think you've taken that first view. you 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 reckon you know you're talking openly about look there is that bias that is affecting this cultural there's personal bias that is affecting you know your ability to find yeah um women who would be, you know, who want to come and have conversation. I think we, the self-awareness is critical and then active on that self-awareness is critical. And I, you know, I, that's the work that I get to do that. I, when I do my storytelling, I talk about my prejudices and biases as well, because I still have them. Right. And I think one of the last thing maybe I want to say, because, you know, this is 2020, this is, we're in September, elections are coming up. And one of the big things that's happening in America is black, you know, one of the big things is black lives matter. Right. And right. we, it's not that, only Black Lives Matter. I mean, the, the very fact that we would have to say it is on an oxymoron because if all lives matter, you would not have to say Black Lives Matter. So we yeah. know some people. Or when some, somebody says all lives matter, like, oh, I'm glad you agree because that means Black Lives Matter, right? Of course, exactly. <laughs> and I think, in our, you know, broadly, but also in our community, you know, as we're talking about sort of the sick community, I think we have to acknowledge the anti-black bias that we have right. in our community. And we have to, you know, acknowledge that and then step out of that comfort zone and say, look, we need to stand by our black brother and sisters right. in the U S and around the world and in India with Dalits and yeah. say, look, first and foremost, I'm sorry if I'm part of that system that has extended that prejudice towards you. I'm here in humility, how, you know, to, to help and to be, to stand by you, actually not even help, but just to stand by you. And, and as somebody who has been part of that problematic system, but I also want to be part of that solution. And I think we need to actively be part of that justice movement to, because that's what Sikhi teaches us. That's what yeah. Sikhi is all about. We need to be aware of our biases and then become better versions of who we are by, by following sort of this beautiful poetic tradition that Guru Sahib started by Le Paksha. Mm-hmm. And through those poetic, through poetry, through music, through Gurbani, we stay centered, right? We like every day you listen, you know, Jay, to see part name, even if you don't do part every day, try to listen to some kirtan, right? It's like find your favorite kirtan. Find, like, you know, yeah. for me, Arsaliwar is something I love. I love Nome Pacha's Barney because the little bit of Barney that I did listen to as a kid was Nome Pacha's Barney. So, Sulok Mela Nome is something yeah. I grew up with a little bit. And it's, um, I think that's critical. And then I, I, you know, I sat here intentionally in, in front of my library. I, I would not be the person I'm today, Mantir. I would mind not be even sitting in front of you if I did not mm-hmm. fall in love with books. Um, I, I think every sick household should have a library in it. 
uh, whether you love books or not, because you never know how you might fall into love, uh, love with books. Your kids might stumble upon them. Your siblings, right. your parents might stumble upon them. Every Sikh household should have a library in it. With Punjabi Kitaba, with English and whatever other language you like, have libraries. These are stories. Yeah, and no, that's great advice. Can, that's great advice. Yeah, through, through these books, we learn. I learned the skill of storytelling through books. Mm. And so none of us are necessarily born with that skill. So read books and start telling your stories. Yeah. No, that's that's a great, great advice. And uh, I know I've taken up a lot of your time this morning already, but uh, I really, really appreciate you coming on and telling your story. And hopefully since it'll inspire other people to come forward and start telling their stories. And uh, I mean, I know we've only met a few times in person, like at retreat or whatever, but whatever it was, there was like an immediate connection. And, you know, I always felt that every time I saw you, I always felt proud that, Hey, I know that guy, he's my friend, <laughs> you know, and uh, I share your videos or, or I've told people about you like outside of sick community at work and stuff. And um, I think that the things you're doing are changing people's, thinking and that was the one thing guru Saab did is he changed people's manmat to gurmat and that's the most difficult thing to do is to change someone's thinking and similarly guru Saab uses a first person perspective of i am without bhakti i need to connect with why i am distracted by my evils and similarly you are also going to people and saying hey look i have these biases but here's how I'm overcoming them. That that style, that method is the guru's method. And I think that's why when we see Gursikhs that model themselves after the gurus and their job is to spread the truth and change people's minds to, to that truth, to being that ik, that ikonkar, that feeling of oneness with all of us. Um, that's really admirable. And I'm not saying that just to, highlight you or, 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 or give you praise. Um, I'm saying that I hope people see that this is the Gursik way. Go out and if you have any creativity, um, you have an a, a outlet for creativity, whatever it is, painting, writing, uh, you want to make videos and do a podcast, you want to go dress up like a superhero, you want to make movies, um, whatever it is, poetry, you know, what? Tap into that. Use that creative um, inspiration to change people's minds. And I really appreciate everything you're doing. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I didn't, you know, some of these, some of the conversations, the threads we talked about today, I, you know, I didn't plan on having those conversations. That's the beautiful thing about having these conversations on your platform. You just never know because we, you know, we didn't plan on like, hey, these are the questions I'm going to ask. Yeah, you. yeah. So I didn't prepare anything ahead of time. Vishavji didn't give me any questions to ask. We just had a natural conversation. Two friends talking after many years. Yeah. And, and it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, I really, you know, I, yeah, we met, I think, in the early 2000s with the retreats yeah. happening after 9-11. And I, you know, some of the profound experiences that I've had were in those retreats and uh, in the Sangat which is, you know, such, so, so important and having, having friendships and Sangha and people around you who, um, 
are you a support network? Network is critical, and I know that's you know how we connected, and I know our paths have sort of you know I'm a, I know what you've been doing as well, Mandir, through social media. So we had that connection. But it's good to have this conversation for me. You know, you made some connections that I didn't make as you when you were just saying that our guru stops were actually sort of you know they it is amazing sometimes when I read Barney Gurusab calls themselves a mnemonic, <laughs> right? And I'm just kind of going like, really. I mean, like, if you're in Nevada, then what am I? I mean, well, it's like... Guru, Guru Nanak Dev Ji calls himself Pagatheen, that he has no Pagati. Yeah. That Guru Nanak... Would we ever say about Guru Nanak Dev Ji that yeah. he has no... Yeah. Right? And to think how that... Now, when you recite it, it, it goes back to what you're saying. Every day, your nickname, your your Simran, or whatever you're doing, meditations, uh, listening to Kirtan, it's a reset. It's a reset yeah. to the right mindset. Yeah. And then you start your day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's that is why that's why you know when say they say Rahat Guru Rahat you know, Rahat right? Guru a famous line, you know, Sikh Rahat. It's the it's the And the, the key message there is look, it's the discipline that'll keep you on that path. Because you can, you know, you can, you can be on the path one day and you can go off that path. You can be off the path and come on the path. And what keeps you there is the discipline. It's, and, and, you know, this is, you look at anything in life, any successful person will tell you there's some level of discipline they're following. Right. So yeah. that growth mindset that we, you know, we hear about a lot of times these days in, in corporate culture. Yes. Yeah. There, there is, there are disciplines have, yeah, that absolutely. successful people follow. Guru Sahib has already given us that. Professional so, athletes, corp CEOs of corporations, yeah. all of these top high performers follow very, very strict disciplines yeah. in order to achieve the things they love. Yeah. And Guru Sahib has given us a hat, which is the, the ultimate goal is to merge with that that universal energy that we mm. all one day have to. So you can either do the take the long road or the short road. <laughs> right. And so Guru Sahib saying, look, you have this beautiful human life. You're conscious. You have consciousness that nobody else has as a species. So spend some time with poetry. And, you know, I, I'm saying this and I fall through with my head too. You know, that I, there are days when I get busy and I, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, do my, my meditation. But it's a reminder, this conversation is a reminder that, you know, Vishwati, mm. um, you know, that discipline needs to come in. And I think the Guru Sahib has given too. us a yeah, an example, uh, the life story of every single Guru and many who have followed them. It's just, it's, we, our community is full of stories. We just need to start telling them. And I hope some of your there are there are somebody listening in to your podcast who's going to be a future storyteller and you know bring us books and stories that'll you know influence many more lives. So it's a story connection, like it's a circle, and we got to just keep telling stories. And hopefully, you know, I, I've been inspired by people from the past and present, and we are all connected that way. You know, we're all connected. Nobody, have, I'm, I, I would not be who I am without the many stories, real, fictional, past, present. And I think that's, a, that's, the, that's the critical thing. We, we six need to sort of just start figuring out ways of telling stories and writing stories. Yeah. And I think for me, 
with you, the main reason I wanted you on, the main reason I want to talk to you is because you did all of this with your Gursik Sarup and it's Gurmat based. And I think that also people need to hear just because you have a Gursik Sarup doesn't mean you can't be Superman or Captain America or, or, or whatever, a police officer or a president of the United States, that all of this stuff is possible and yes. you, as long as you center yourself in that Gurmat-based thinking. Yeah, you don't hold yourself based on the yeah. stereotypical prejudicial vision that people have at large and even six have of themselves that, yes. oh, I, I can't do this, right? Yeah. We have internalized that predominant cultural image. And I, yes, I mean, Guru Saab liberated us. They, they're like, oh, no, Guru Saab, uh, you know, the final thing I might want to say this is, you know, we, we, we hear about Pajapiaras all the time. And I didn't, I didn't make this connection until a few years ago. Somebody, uh, a young thing from the UK was sort of telling this story about Pajapiaras. That Pajapiaras came from very, five different parts of India at the time, Indian subcontinent. India was not India, then Indian subcontinent. They spoke five different, radically different languages. Mm. And somehow they traveled hundreds and thousands of miles to Anandapur. Right. speaking different languages and somehow they made that connection and became Panjabiari. And I'm just thinking, you know, this is the time before television, radio, this is the time before most people spoke the same language. Yeah. How did they communicate? How did somebody speaking, uh, coming from Karnataka and Orissa and Lahore and Punjab, how did they, how did they just basic level communicate, let alone become Panjabiari? And so there, there is some amazing connection, a story connection to this universal energy that Dasmay Pacha did through, you know, through his storytelling connection in a way. Because yeah. he, he made a call out there. Yeah, yeah. And I, to this day, I'm amazed. You know, I, 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 I would love for somebody to describe how those five men could come in speaking radically different languages and connect on that day. Yeah, and connect. Hmm. Well, very good. Thank you, brother, for stepping into the Net Nihangs arena. Vishavjit Singh, good luck with everything you're doing. I hope you touch a lot more people's lives. I hope you get to do this for a long time. And I hope you get to see the fruits of uh, the labor that you're putting into this. You see the change that you're out there pushing for. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you. Why Gurjika Khalsa? Khalsa. Why Gurjika Khalsa?